Corona Chronicle Session 38 with Dr. Emily Williams-Knight of the Texas Restaurant Association. Now, a lot of people have been reaching out to me, asking me for advice uh, in details around the CARES Act and the payment protection, uh, or sorry, the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, but I'll be honest, uh, I'm not the right person to go to when it comes to attention to detail in legalities. And um, that's just not my lane. I'm more of a 30,000 foot big picture kind of person. Uh, so when people came to me asking for guidance in this vertical, I got you know a little stressed out because I wanted to be able to help people, but I knew I wasn't the right person to help for this. So the other variable is things have been changing so fast that as soon as I felt like I had my, you know, somewhat of a grasp on it, um, it didn't really make sense to share what I knew because what I knew just didn't seem relevant in the moment. So, uh, what I was able to do was to lock down Emily Williams Knight, who is, uh, the president and CEO of the Texas restaurant association. And I've just been so impressed with how the TRA has been handling this and getting information to their members as quickly uh, as possible from the source. So instead of me trying to do my best to, to fumble through all the details of the CARES Act, I got Emily on the show to kind of give us an overview of what's happening right now. And we didn't really dive in deep into the CARES Act, into the PPP, because the truth of the matter is it's not enough. And what we really need to be doing right now is banding together to ask for more support, more aid, to get a realistic idea of how much of an impact this is going to have on our industry and what we can do today to better our odds coming out of this thing. And that's kind of where we spend most of today's conversation is focusing on what we can do and then also directing you, my listeners, to the best resources. So that's the other thing. Why would I recreate something a resource to help guide you through this when that stuff has already been created. So we point you in the right direction. We also kind of summarize where we are uh, realistically with these programs, if they're going to be able to help and what we can do to get the actual help we need. That's what we cover in today's episode. So I hope you guys find value in this. And uh, before we hit play on that recording, I want to let you know that these episodes or this episode particularly was brought to you by Restaurant 365, a cloud-based all-in-one uh, restaurant-specific accounting and back office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, and food and beverage vendors, restaurant365.com. Slash unstoppable is the place to go. If you use that link, you'll qualify for 30% off implementation and you'll get a free inventory built within restaurant 365, a value of $5,000. And now's the time we get to work on our business and define how we come back. And that's something we discussed in today's episode with Emily. And I think that leveraging the right technology will help you come back stronger. So definitely check out restaurant 365. This episode is also brought to you by P&G Professional, uh, specifically Don Professional, the number one dish detergent found in most commercial kitchens around the nation. I know during my come up, Don Professional was in most of the kitchens I worked in, and it was amazing how long these suds last in the water. They actually clean up to 50%. 58% more dishes per sink than other leading labels and Don Professional will reduce your six, your your sink changeovers by 35% which saves you 6000 gallons of hot water per year versus private labels head over to www.pgpro.com again it's www.pgpro.com to learn more and now here's today's chat Dr. Emily Williams-Knight is joining me today. Doctor, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Beautiful. And if that name is not familiar, uh, Emily is the president and CEO of the Texas Restaurant Association. And I just want to say that I've been following what you guys have been doing from a distance, getting all of your emails. And I just want to say great job on on staying on top of this and and being of service to your community members. And uh, you guys are an invaluable resource right now. Thank you. Yeah, we feel um, we're very inspired and that's driving a lot of energy and a lot of passion to get some of this stuff corrected. So, uh, yeah, we're in it for the long haul for sure. Right. So, um, I've been getting a lot of requests to dive deeper into the cares act, into the PPP, and I'll be the first person to admit that I'm not a detail oriented individual. And there's just so <laughs> much information out there. It's so hard to filter through it all to find out what's relevant. And what I've been finding is once you, you feel like you have a, a, a your, your, your grasp on it, 
we start to slowly realize, well, this isn't going to be enough. And like, why are we putting so much energy into figuring this out when we know that it's not even going to be even worth discussing in the next four weeks? You know what I'm saying? Like, so that's kind of where I am right now. Why dissect this? Why break it apart when we know the answer is it's not enough? I'd rather spend our time today redirecting people to the resources that are already out there. I mean, we don't need to regurgitate all the stuff that exists. I know you know where the, the, the answers to these these problems exist. So maybe you can redirect our listeners in that direction. Then just kind of get on the same page and get aligned with what the future looks like and what we need to do today to to get the, the support we need for the long run. So, um, where to start? Um, what do people, let's let's just start generally with the cares act, uh, kind of just paint the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of start there. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm gonna to, in order to get us to where we want to go, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna take us back a couple of weeks, right? Because I think that's really important, um, and we won't rehash all of it. But I think you know we've been very clear that we're grateful for the CARES Act, and really the CARES Act was almost phase three to us, right? Phase two provided the tax credit for. Um, FMLA, you know, family medical leave, as well as paid sick leave. And that took a long time for us to sort through with our members, because in many cases, you know, they didn't understand it. They didn't understand if they had to pay their employees to be home to not, you know, this because these are your listeners, but liquidity is a huge issue. Mm -hmm. So for us to front for the federal government, these, um, you know, essentially salaries, why people weren't working, you know, we fought back very hard on that because we wanted to know, you know, why are we doing the tax credit? Why can't we have the money now? And if it is a tax credit, how soon can we get it? So we felt like that was the first week of just sorting through all this. And I call it muck because it was really complicated. And I am going to do a special shout out to the Texas Workforce Commission because they were an extraordinary partner to us. The lines, as you know, they process claims in one day as this started to unfold that they had done the entire month of February. Right. So these people are day and night right now. So we would go to them and say, hey, it says this. What do we do here? And so we could pull all this apart. And that's really where we emerged. You know, we're the longest trade association on 90 years or something in Texas. And people that comes to restaurants, it's the TRA. But we all of a sudden found ourselves in a whole new world of being labor relations experts and helping restaurants decide if they should close or stay open. We started to get really involved in what was happening federally, and that's how the CARES Act was born. So if we just go back a couple weeks ago, this morning when I woke up was the date that we had originally had on our calendars that we'd be back in business. Right. Okay. (laughs) So Easter Sunday, whether you laughed about it or not, going through this crisis, you sort of felt like, okay, it's a date I could kind of hold on to. And at least I could get to that point. I could think that maybe I could get back to even 30, 40, 50% of capacity. And so when they set this out, really the CARES Act and the PPP function was really to give people the ability to keep people on the payroll, keep them working, let them work eight weeks. We're going to give you that money back, 75% for your payroll, 25% for rent you know, or mortgage and utilities. In essence, that sounds really smart. But then the wheels came off when a couple of things happened. One, are we today back in our vacations? No. no. The governor just announced this press release that he will be announcing later in the week that soon we'll have some indication of when we'll be able to safely open. But we all know that's not going to be overnight. Um, do we have the money flowing as it should have from the PPP? Absolutely not. And nope. I'll talk about that. Yep. And is this now going to be something that really could end by June 10th or June 30th when we no longer need the money? And and that's really not true either. So what was great intent, and I have to say that our congressional delegation from Texas has been extraordinary. They're very focused on the economy here and almost a balance of let's keep people safe and manage public safety. But let's make sure that we get the money in to get this economy started. Well, that's part of public so, safety. You know, like we are a consumer economy, like our absolutely cash flow. Like this is a, uh, this is capitalism. Like we, we need it. Yeah. Like, and we're not, we're like a 3%, our, yeah. you know, 3% margin business, right? Maybe yeah. 5%. Some folks are really crushing or doing 10%, but this is our industry. It is not people sitting on typically large sums of money that can carry a crisis. And I like to point out in every one of these interviews, The virus did not close our restaurants. That was a government mandate, Mm -hmm. right? And so we need to be very careful that I've tried to balance being really thoughtful because I want everyone to be safe with the fact is that we didn't choose to do this. So when someone uses the word the CARES Act was a bailout to small business or a bailout to the restaurant sector is so offensive because what happened was we were told you can no longer in the name of public health run your business the way that you should and the way that would allow you to sustain yourself. But we're going to collect your taxes and we're going to do all these things and then we'll get back to you later. So I had a ton of, ton of faith in the CARES Act. I think I was the first association the next night to throw myself online live and start answering questions. And just what you said is so important. 
I'm learning as they're learning, yeah. right? So I'm learning as and, and unfolding and I'm starting to realize, wait a minute, let's talk about the three fundamental things right now. If it's okay, I'll move into kind of what you said, like no, what I'm, has to happen now? I'm on the I'm on the roller coaster. You do your thing and I'm doing my okay. best to, to make mental notes, but just keep going. You know what? I'm just getting so fired up about no, this because going. I feel like to me, <laughs> I get stuck when something makes complete sense to fix. I mm. can't be told why we can't fix it, mm-hmm. right? That's just logic. And I know I'm not an, you know, Washington insider, even Austin insider at this point. I'm fairly new. But if I can point out three things that aren't working, then let's just get it fixed. Okay. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. So number one, the June 30th date is never going to happen. You cannot expect us to hire everyone back at at least 90 to 100 percent of what we were prior to the to, to this pandemic by June 30th and have essentially 75% of the same amount of wages. Now, even if you're crushing it at Sonic right now, right, you're still not doing the volume that Mm -hmm. you used to. Then you go to one of maybe Chris Pappas's restaurants, right? So a high-end steakhouse. There's no way they can convert themselves to carry out curbside and delivery and sustain their business model. Now, what no one's thought about, what's going to happen on July 1st? So let's say we open up the economy safely, which we would all agree with and support. Do we think consumers are going to come running to dining rooms? Absolutely. Do not. we think that large places like a Dave and Buster's or Top Golf are just going to be filled with people wanting to have fun with other people they don't know? Not a psychologist. I think it's going to be a challenge. Second, if you look across at your neighborhood, we're not the only ones hurting. A lot of big companies have also made these adjustments. So that discretionary spending at the top tier. I think will be challenged. Mm -hmm. So we're advocating for get that date out of the way. Get us till the end of December. Give us a long runway to healthy build our business. It just doesn't work. Next, this whole 75%, 25%. A lot of our cities across Texas spend more than 25% on mortgage or utilities. That's just the reality of the rent. Look at Austin alone. So to make us take 75% and put it onto payroll only, and 25% max on utilities or in, in some cases rent mortgage, that whole bucket, for a lot of our operators, it just exceeds, yeah. right? It's too much. It, it, it's, they, they can't then buy food, run their business. So that's a huge problem. So we need to get that threshold back down. And on loan forgiveness, I truly believe that if you have suffered an economic loss that is clearly so measurable, and I'll walk through the survey we just did, which is extraordinarily painful to read, And if you've got at least 25% of your employees back, maybe 50 by X date, then your loan should be forgiven. That's just my opinion. Because what no one is talking about is that we have put right next to this an unemployment system on steroids, which allows a worker to be home until the end of July, in some cases, making up to $58,000. Now, I'll be the first. Our employees are everything. And if you actually talk to a lot of these owners and operators, they're the most sad because they had to let their employees go. Yeah. But now if they can, because they're not making tips and they're not doing the things that help them make as much money as they can, they would argue they're better off staying home. So you've incentivized a restaurant in order to convert their loan to a grant to get these people back who've been incentivized not to come back. So those two things compete. So it's not even that it doesn't work. It's just the way the mechanics have unfolded. And so we are lobbying so hard and we're saying, We think the 17th, the 349 billion will be gone. If you look at your watch, that's this week. So let's get more money funneled in. But when we do, let's make a couple of these changes and then let's get some more banks participating. So this is going to shock you, but everyone who celebrates their PPP loan coming in, we're very happy for. However, I have hundreds and hundreds of restaurants that have not gotten a thing. And you know why? Either their bank isn't a lender, Capital One, not a lender. I drove around my car to four different banks. Guess what? Can't get a loan. They don't want me because I'm not their customer. Or my little restaurant is small and I'm going to be on the pole. So by the time I get through the process in my bank, the money's gone or they just never get to me at all. So if you look at today, Governor Abbott put up a 50 or Goldman Sachs just gave us $50 million in the lift program. And I applaud that. And frankly, the governor has really been doing everything, I think, in his power to try to balance at least behind the scenes with all of us as well, kind of how do you balance public health and the economy? But 50 million, overnight, Harris County launched their fund. <laughs> they had so much subscription, they got 7,000 requests, 151 million. Wow. So if we got 50 for all of Texas, I, I, I'm, I'm excited. This sounds great. I'll take anything we can get, but we cannot stop federally 
working with our congressional delegation to fix this program because it is not working the way it was intended to. Yeah. Emily, you threw a lot at us there. Can we just, um, identify those three bullets one more time just to make sure that we... Yep. We want to extend out that rehire date. So that idea that you have to use your loan, number one. So right now you have to lose your loan by June 30th, right? That means by May 5th, your eight-week covered period, because you get eight weeks, really has to start by May 5th. So that leaves us less than three weeks for people to apply and secure the funding. So one option would be to change the origination date. To say, when I get my loan approved, I want my date to be June 15th. And then from June 15th till 60 days later is my covered period. And as long as I meet my employee threshold by the end of the year, then the portion of that eight weeks would be returnable. And that, to me, seems so much fairer than asking everyone right now, when we don't even have an indication of when we're open, for their covered period to start at a time when their employees are already home, and don't really have incentive to come back. Yeah. So let's push out that June 30th date and let's push out the numbers from to the end of December and let them use that loan, that eight weeks, when they can actually get their business restarted. And I know the intent was to keep Americans working and I applaud that, but but we're going into week five. So we don't we can't hold on and hope. And I would tell you this, let's just say you used your money and you let your employees stay home and you paid your payroll, and they didn't work. But then on July 1, you ask them to come back. Where are they going on July 15th? Yeah. You're not going to have 100%. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's where a lot of the questions are. People are like, why am I going through all this process when at the end of this, I'm just going to have to go through it again because I'm not going to be able to rehire people. Like, like Right. It's, it's because you don't have anything for them to do. Exactly. And if yeah. you rehire them, you have to buy food. You got to buy alcohol, right? You got to run your restaurant, social media, advertising, yeah. marketing, HR. Where's the money going to come from? Yeah. And uh, another thing that's come up too, a lot of people, um, you, you mentioned like, is it realistic that people are actually, they're, they're collecting an unemployment check, right? Like why would you, why would you leave that security to go take a risk on going back to work where you might only have a job for a week again? You know, the other thing is a lot of people are choosing not to go back to work, not because they're collecting the check, but because they don't feel safe. Um, so that's the other thing that you have to pay uh, attention to. Absolutely. Which one question came up. Maybe you can answer this. Are people, sure. are my people even eligible for unemployment insurance if they have a job but aren't willing to come back? Yeah, it's a really tricky question. Um, I always direct people right to, to the employers, right to the Texas Workforce Commission. And I'll tell you why. It's very clear that if you have a job and choose not to return to a job, um, that you would be considered as job abandonment, right? Now that's before COVID-19. Under COVID-19, let's say that my husband came home today and he was exposed four days ago. Is it safe for me to go back to work, right? We know a number of employees have been able to go to a doctor to say either I've been exposed or serving people makes me really nervous. And honestly, I think what it's going to come down to is interpretation by the Texas Workforce Commission and that restaurant owner and employee. And so when we get we get a lot of these calls and we get calls that say, I need this person to come back. I have 21 employees, so I'm under that 50 cap. I need them to work. They won't work. So do I pay them their family medical leave because of the COVID-19 event, right, under CARES 2? Can I just let them go and not have my account charged? There's lots of pieces that go into it. And so we really, and, and if it's helpful, I can after send you some of the direct numbers right into the employer side of the Workforce Commission, because I think the best two options were to go through our TRA legal center. So our members actually have access to a legal center, which has been invaluable. We have a number of legal partners that just give them the right answer or the Texas Workforce yeah, Commission. But I've, I found they're unique, Eric. So I'm, 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 there's not a one size fits all yeah. question. And that's the, that's the other thing too. It's hard to put out generic advice because we all have different scenarios. So it's, I've been really struggling, uh, but I just want to come back to those three things. You said extend out the rehire date and I, you, you threw a lot at us, but can you just throw the other Sorry. two just to get it like, no, just for the, the, the sake of taking notes later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. So we, we are, um, we sent a letter. So we're fortunate. We partner um, quite closely with the national restaurant association. So we've got, um, one of me across every state in, in the country, Puerto Rico as well, and D.C. And we make sure that from a state and local, right, that we've got our arena coverage. So for me, that'd be Governor Abbott and then all of our elected officials in Texas. And then on federal issues, we really partner with them. So about a week ago, we actually put a formal letter together. And I think there's about 11 
components within that letter that we think are critical to be adjusted. I was on the phone with Senator Cornyn's office on Friday evening, and they've been a great partner. And essentially, their chief of staff said, Emily, get it down to three. And what people have to remember on the CARES Act is this is a federal piece of legislation. So this is all happening in Washington and being deployed locally in Texas. So as we went through the list and I took all my members' feedback, the three things that really came down were that idea of the June 30th date being far too close to even be realistic. So extend so the do, extend out the rehire yep, date. Yep, extend out the rehire date, change the mix of the 7525, which is that payroll utilities, and bring that threshold down and allow people to pay less for payroll because they're on skeleton crews and allow them to use those loan funds for other operating expenses, including utilities and rent and mortgage, that it's going to be more than that 25% that's capped in there today, right? Okay. Was that was the second thing. And then the third thing was looking at that ability to recover. So allow people to reduce that threshold we talked about of how many rehires you have to have. But let's look at that on December 31st, not on June 30th. Okay. So what we're arguing is we have we there's there's no way if someone could convince me that there was a way to be back to 90 percent employment on June 30th of what I had on February 1st. And just for context, there were 50,000 restaurants in Texas on January 1st. So in 2019, we had one point four million employees wow. and we had 70 billion in revenue. So every day that we're closed is not a good day for small business, but it's also not a good day for the state of Texas. Right. Because there's no tax revenue coming in. So for us, those things would actually make this program much more palatable. And then on top of what's across all that is we do not have enough people getting access to the money. It is a huge problem today that we have people sitting in parts of Texas right now, small business owners that cannot get the money because their bank won't lend or they're not a customer of a bank that's in that area or in Forney, Texas, there's no SBA lender. What are those people supposed to do? They just will simply close their doors. You saw last night, First Watch. First Watch is, I love First Watch. It's a great concept out of California. Yeah. Their CEO wrote a beautiful note. One of the last, you know, ones in the last six hours, they closed everything starting today. And mm. I think it's because many of them cannot get access to this PPP money. And if they do, our fear is without these changes, they're going to be on the hook. And remember, it's a two-year repayment at 1% with a six-month potential push out. So in two and a half years, if you borrow $2 million and you have maybe a million that you do get to convert for some reason in two and a half years at the most, you got to pay all that. Back. That's crazy. Oh man. Um, so one thing I don't understand, like the, the banks aren't paying out. Do they just simply not have the money? And it, like, and like, that's yeah. one of the questions that I have, like, how is the government even going to be able to absorb yeah. this blow? Like, where is the money coming from? We're just going to start printing money. Like, like I don't, I'm not an economist, you know, but no, something's either, not right here. You know what I'm I saying? can tell you, I told my daughters, I have twin 14 year olds. And I said, you know, when your mom's age, you're going to have a 42% tax rate, <laughs> right. you know, for everything. Like, because you know, someone's going to pay for this. Yeah. I think that the way it's come out is if you're the bank and I know you're kind of backstopped by the federal government. And so I think that's a good thing, but remember on these loans and I don't want to step out of my lane because I'm clearly not an economist either, but you know, there's no personal guarantee. There's no collateral and there's no test elsewhere. So all three of those things were stripped from the PPP, which is what's allowing for some speed, right? Which is great. But if you're the bank taking a risk on that front and the government saying, we're going to take care of you, some, in some cases, they've just said, we're not going to go down this lane, right? And that's Wells Fargo, it's Capital One, it's M&T Bank. But those are massive banks. And so when the massive banks don't jump in the mix, you talk about a lot of people who do not have access. In Texas, we did a survey last week, 711 restaurants responded in one day. I don't know about you, but our guys aren't the best at usually doing surveys. And so when I saw the numbers come in, I knew where there's smoke, there's fire. And one of the things that was very clear is about 70% of the people reporting were going to their small regional bank. And the big gap of who wasn't lending were all those big companies. Well, the problem is you're going to have a bottleneck. And those small regional banks, the bank here where I live, they are working day and night. But how much can they process with mm -hmm. three loan processors? Yeah. Right? So yeah. I think that's part of it. And I think there needs to be incentive. But the Democrats would tell you, and this is, you know, I obviously sit in the middle very nicely, but the Democrats would tell you that they want more money if money comes in to go to the small community banks and not to the big banks. And I, I can appreciate that. But what I want right now is 
I don't want winners or losers. I want my businesses and my restaurants to get the money they need to stay open. That's all I care about. Yeah. So I think some of the, the questions um, we need to answer to be very like clear about what we can do, because the mission of this podcast is to right now, especially is to bring people together, right? So we can yes. get aligned and pull in the right direction. So what can we all yep. be doing right now to be pulling in the same direction? So what can we be doing right now after listening to this? Does it make sense for us to be trying to get these loans or is it better to yes. be putting our energy into asking for more, I guess is the, the kind of the question. So yep, the answer yep. is yes so, to both. So if you're a listener, I want you to have a conversation with your accountant and I want you to have a conversation with the lender. And if you can't get a lender, you can email me or the Texas Restaurant Association because we have some options for you. For example, someone like Heartland has stepped up and said for those folks that don't have access. So you don't know if you need this or not unless you sit down with your accountant and really look at what your metrics are, where your business is today. But if it appears to be something that works for you, you do need to apply now because the money is running out. By the end of this we week, are, according to what we by said By the end earlier. of this week. Now, yeah. we're told potentially Thursday the Senate could act with the House and we could get another $250 billion. That's great news. But the, you really – and we before it was even signed, Eric, we said, please, please, please sit down with your – this is right you. Get it done. But do not forget for your listeners that you also have the economic injury disaster loan. Right now, that's a 30 year loan that's available. It does come with some of the, you know, test elsewhere, collateral, et cetera. However, it's 30 years at 4% up to $2 million, but there's no prepayment penalty. So if you need to secure funds and that's processed through SBA, the PPP is processed through banks. So the second place to make sure you go look and your listeners look is maybe we call it the idols in case someone hears it, the idol loan. The economic injury disaster loan is an option. So make sure you have that conversation. Those are your two loan options. Now, is there a deadline with the idle? Um, No, there's no deadline because it's a different type of mechanism. There's no forgivable portion of the idle. So if you take out 1.2, you're going to, you're going to own one. You're you're going to owe 1.2. So just to interject real quick, um, the yes, try to get the money, do whatever you can to get the money. Don't hesitate any longer because you're running through the runaways almost you know, I think we're almost at the Correct. end of it. And make sure you make sure you make sure it's right though, right? So yep. first have that discussion that the, the loan parameters fit and your accountant or your banker are going to have that answer. And if they say this is good for you, you spend day and night getting it done. Now to, to get that money, can you list like two or three resources, websites I can link to so I can put these links right underneath where to go now to get yep, the money? I would, the first place I'd go and I'd absolutely send you here is to the TRA website. The Texas Restaurant Association, we have taken everything from DC as long with the SBA and all the different organizations and synthesized exactly what matters for restaurants. The trouble with going to general sites is it applies to everyone. In this CARES Act, there is a carve out for restaurants, hotels, food service, and caterers. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure you have those guidelines. So the first place I'd go is txrestaurant.org and we have an entire site on there. You'll see it, COVID-19, everything you need from family medical leave, all the families first act to the PPP and beyond. The second is, is your small business um, website that's usually linked through your chamber of commerce. So we've got really good chamber of commerce and we actually stay pretty much hand in hand and help each other. Um, And so your chamber of commerce would be the second place that I would go. And the third place is actually your SBA site. So your small business administration that, that they've done, I think this last weekend, another update too. And inside there, you will be able to see almost the loans explained, right? This is this loan. This is this loan. This is why you might want this loan. Those three places is where I would go. I would avoid right now the emails and messages and phone calls you're getting from people that are telling you, I'll help you. I'll fill out your loan. I'll give you new insurance. Stay away from those people. I'm sure they're great people. But right now, you need to go to one trusted site that you can hold to account to make sure the information is correct. Yes. And, then, and I can send you those as well. And that's kind of the, that was the, one of the big chunks I wanted to be able to get from this conversation is a, a trusted place to go to get answers. And hopefully, we can funnel people over there. And the, I think the other important things that we answer right now are so, yes, get the money. But we also have to get aligned with what the future looks like and how we can lobby and and spread this message that it's not enough. Where do we go for that? Yep. So uh, if you go to the Facebook page of the Texas Restaurant Association or you go directly to our website, you're going to see two uh, letters right now that we have launched. One of the best things we can do, and I can tell you I got in hot water with the comptroller when I first started all this because we sent 85,000 messages in three days wow. and essentially shut down comptroller Hager's email because we want to defer taxes. Now, 
I got the brunt of it and he was correct, right? It was a lot, but frankly, that showed the strength of the industry. Mm-hmm. So I actually hung up and, and, and felt bad that maybe I caused some pain, but I was so happy that within like a day, you saw this state and this industry come together. So we have two campaigns going on right now. One is for Congress, which talks about exactly what I talked about on the PPP. So all you do is go online, we do all the work for you. It's a piece of technology software, I guess. You put in your zip code, we launch the letters for you. You can customize if you want. I'm Emily Knight, I own Bob's Fish Shop with my brother. Send the letter, it does it all for you. So one number one, make sure those letters continue to go. The second one is for the mayors. So we're about to go into the economic recovery side of this. And Governor Abbott just indicated later in the week, we would have this week a preview of what the opening of the economy might look like. It will be critically important that we are at the table and the mayors understand what kind of grants we're going to need, what kind of regulatory relief we're going to need, what kind of tax relief we're going to need, both there back up to the comptroller and the governor. And so we have launched a letter to get them thinking about these are the areas you can't lose sight of. And then we've worked really hard to make sure one of our members is on each of those economic councils. So we actually have someone on Dallas, someone in San Antonio. We can funnel the information because they want to help. They just don't know what our priorities are. So the best thing you can do is go online, have all your friends and family send those same letters because they go right to our elected officials, and they lay out exactly what we need. And the more we can show that strength, right? I mean, we're 50,000 restaurants and the second biggest employer in the state prior to this. You know, this is when we have to act like it. And I can tell you, yes, we maybe are irritating in some cases. And so I'll live with that as long as we get what we need. Yeah. So there's the two places to, to get people aligned, to, to, to deliver the message of what we need and to the lobby for that aid. Those two locations, one more time for me. Yep. The Texas Restaurant Association Facebook page. Yep. So just go to Facebook and it's right there. You'll see all the action points or txrestaurant.org. And that is our website. And you will see on there how to take action. And this is session 38. So if you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RCP for restaurant coronavirus podcast and you scroll to number 38, I'll link to all those things too to make it easy for you guys. We'll do our best to, to create a path of least resistance for you. Um, the only other thing, Eric, can I just add one please, thing please. I don't want people to forget about real quick? Please. Those are both your loan options under the PPP, but something some people have not seen in this is that there's also an employee tax retention credit. So let's say you're down to a skeleton crew of 10 and you're doing pretty good curbside and takeout. And as you know, we passed the grocery waiver. So you're selling some groceries to make some revenue. We passed with the governor the alcohol waiver. You're doing some curbside. Those five, let's say employees, if you're not going to take a loan, you can actually get a tax credit for 50% of that salary. So we've heard some of our restaurants have tried to keep maybe their four top managers and try to keep them on site. But if you're not going to go for the loan, you must go for the tax credit because people are forgetting that that's an option. And that's another half off of what that salary is that could be money back in your pocket. Got you. Now, we keep on mentioning specific to Texas, the Texas Facebook page or the Texas restaurant association mm-hmm. page and website. This is cross through all States. They can find, I just want to make sure that's clear. If you're like in Wyoming for whatever reason, listening to this. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Okay. I would go to your local restaurant page. So each of you has a restaurant association in your state. Yeah. We happen to be Texas, but if you're in Wyoming, the Wyoming restaurant association is very strong. If you're in California and each of them are going to have the same piece of legislation. Remember the cares act is federal. So that's being deployed across the country in the exact same way. When you get down to things like taxes and regulations and commercial terms, that's going to be state specific. But on the CARES Act, we're all in the same boat together. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to ask just a couple questions for you um, that came from um, the Restaurant Unstoppable Facebook page. And if you, I think you probably answered a lot of these, but just in case, these are like big questions. And I just want to make sure we're getting super crystal clear about the answer to the question. Sure. Uh, and then we we'll, can start to wrap things up. But the first question I have for you is, can PPP be used for staff bonuses? Ah, it's a good question. There is on, on our website, there is a calculator called a payroll. It's some fancy word calculator. And what it essentially does is it takes all your 19 data about what you can and cannot include in your loan and then what will be counted for in loan forgiveness. Our understanding is if that is traditional compensation, so 
Traditionally, that is part of their compensation. We have seen some banks included, and we have seen other banks not included. Okay. Here's where the rub is. This is going to be a bank lend to you. So right now we have a list as well on our Facebook page, which is here's all the documents. Here are all the documents that you have to keep in order to go back and say, I did what I was supposed to do. I'm a good citizen. I use the money the right way. Here's all my documents. Now make sure to forgive my loan. Right now, there is no clear set of guidelines of what that is. So the way we see it, and we've seen almost both be approved, some with a bonus counted and some with the bonus not part of it. My recommendation is to not include it. Okay. From every piece of guidance I've seen, and again, I'm this is Emily Knight's guidance, not official law, but I would not include a separate bonus. I would include the way the wage calculator works and make sure you keep that about, and I think it's a 90%, 75% of that number on June 30th today, yeah. unless it gets changed. So the th- other big question that's that's going on out there is if you opened your restaurant after February 15th, I think is the, the you're not eligible. You are not eligible for the PPP, but you are eligible for a loan with the Small Business Administration. Okay. So you should go to the SBA website. It um, The SBA website classifies, there's I think seven different categories look at where you might fit and you should be eligible for a small business loan, but you will not be eligible for the PPP. I think we've already answered this question, but I'll, I'll just to drive it home to make it crystal clear for those who were, for those where PPP is not an option. What about the economic disaster loan emergency advance? Yes. The question yes. is yes. And, and remember you can also do both. So okay. that's something people didn't understand early on either that you could potentially use your economic injury for working capital and then you use your PPP for your rent utilities and your payroll. Yeah. And what's nice is you can do both. So let's say you got 1.5 million in one, 2 million in your PPP, 1.5 of that gets written off. Now you essentially have a $2 million loan, but it's over 30 years, right? So that's that long, it's yeah. 4% at 30 years. So, but people think they can only do one and they actually can do both. Yeah. And I think you just got into my sec, my last question, uh, but this is a, um, a question coming from Mary Reynolds, uh, who's just been super active on the Facebook page. And uh, she had a very nice. specific question and uh, you know, I just wanted to take special care of her because of how active she's been. So I think you kind of yeah. answered, but I'm just going to get into the details of her situation of real quick. And that's the last question I have for you. Um, we don't want the PPP to become these, and these are her words, by the way. Uh, we don't oh, sure. want the PPP to become a loan because we double dipped, but there isn't enough to pay all of our rented and utilities out of the twenty five percent, which is you got into this earlier. Provided mm-hmm. we get approved for both the PPP and the EDIL, would it be better to just payroll? Sorry, to just pay payroll and utilities from the PPP and pay rent and other expenses with the EDIL. And I think you got into that earlier, but yeah, she's very, I don't know who she is. She's very smart because that's exactly how you should think about it. When I just talked about using both is, and I believe and talk to your accountant, but more importantly, sit down with your lending officer. There may be an opportunity for you to be able to take at least 25. If if you have the chance to do 75% or more on payroll, that tends to be the better value on the PPP. But if you had 75% in payroll and 25% in rent, and you still had another 20% to cover, my understanding is you could indeed put that towards the idle, right? So you actually could split that differential. If you can't, I would do exactly what you just suggested, which is use one for payroll, know that you're going to get that portion reduced, and then use the idle, which you can also extend out for 30 years. But our you know, wish, of course, our dream and what we'll make happen is that we start cooking again and you're up and running and things are great and you can pay off that 30 year idle a lot faster. Yeah. And, um, um, but in the meantime, you've got a long runway. So you're thinking about it exactly correct. Okay, cool. Awesome. And those are the questions. The only thing that I would like to kind of round off today's conversation with is, I mean, with, we, we did a lot speaking about what we can do to ask for relief from the government, but at the same time, there's there's a part of me that feels like we shouldn't rely solely on the government. We should also try to be innovative and come together and collect. Like, what what else can we do aside from just asking for help? How can we be proactive? How can we find relief from within? Is that even on the radar? Is that even a possibility? No, I love that you're thinking about that. And I think you know, I wrote something. I write to our members every night, and I try to write just a, something from from my heart, right? Which which sounds a little soft, but it's we're all in this sort of crisis and nobody really has the answers. And so the only what we can do is sort of dig within and figure out how we're going to get through it. And I wrote about the fact that 
we have just been given a point in our industry to reimagine how we do business. It's never happened before. Yes. And you know, unless the world stops and gives you this chance, which has never happened in the history of this industry. I'm so happy you're going here because this is literally the direction that I was like, we get to decide, we get to choose oh my gosh. how we come back. And, the- and, and you don't have to be scared and you don't have to be scared of the technology. You don't have to be scared of disrupting your customer base. You don't have to be scared. All the fear of changing the business model has just been taken away by COVID-19. And I actually get goosebumps thinking about it because you know, I'm not a spring chicken, right? And I'm not really in the camp that I can't change my mind about something. But I know this, I know that we have to think about food is sitting here and the consumer is here. What does that now look like? Because we know what happened in the state of Texas. We contribute today 51% of the food dollar. So out of the dollar in your pocket, 51% is going to go to some type of restaurant, right? Whether you eat in, dine out, whatever it might be, it's 51%. 30 years ago, it was 25. So we have a huge share of consumer spend. And what we've just learned through this exercise is that we are essentially starting to change consumer behavior. And we saw the restaurants that could pivot really quickly and the restaurants that couldn't pivot at all. And so as I think about, I just think it's such a time to just let go, imagine what's working, look at where the success is because there's definitely success going on right now. And take the cover off of this thing and reimagine what it means to entertain and to take care of. And almost what does the word hospitality even mean anymore in our sector? And to me, you know, I just get really excited about that because that's innovation and that's innovation that's unencumbered. And I think we can do it together. And the one thing you've seen this like I have, the way this community has pulled together, you know, we're competitive with each other. I have never seen the type of entrepreneurialism restaurants overnight becoming carry out, takeout, mm-hmm. delivery. I mean, it shows the resourcefulness of the class, people in this right? industry. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. So of course we can change our model. And I think the really big innovation is going to be technology. I came out of 20 years of higher ed. I was a college president. I can tell you, I knew online was going to be big. All the schools that didn't go there, imagine where those universities are sitting this morning. Right. The same things just happened to us. How do we use technology? It's just to expedited what was inevitable is that we're making the shift in this direction. That's but now a great way to say it. Just it. Said, well, now it's now we're gonna do it because we have no other choice. Um, but what do you what do you want to see? Like what if when you close your eyes and you dream about the future, the vision of the industry, what it looks like? What is that image in your eyes? How should that look? You know, what I, what I, and I, I can start with what I miss the most, right? So if you close your eyes and you think about any point in your life, a great thing happening or the saddest thing happening, what was always part of that food? Mm. It was always food in some format and often food that was provided by a quote unquote restaurant. I want to see what my dream would be is to go back down the main street in my town and to see every parking lot full again of people sharing and being together and a sense of community. And maybe that isn't just sitting at a table. Maybe it's participating in the creation process. Maybe it's having those outlets be more where the consumer can actually be part of the experience, right? That the word restaurant is not just thought about as come sit down at a table and someone waits on you and brings you something that's from the back of the kitchen. I think we need to reimagine what that entire, maybe it is the the role of farms and ranches becomes so much more significant because we've lost complete sight of where our food comes from, right? What role can we play in making the consumer part of the experience instead of just the person it gets delivered to? And and I just think there's a way, there's a sense of community and a sense of sort of love and energy that's going to come out of this, that even some some of my, even men and women, right, that have been doing this 40 years that like to tell me all the stories about what it used to be, I, I even get a sense that they're curious about what it could be. Mm. And I think we need to hold on to that and we need to help those guys get over the line. And what we don't need is a bunch of vanilla, everyone the same to come back into this picture. That's what we don't need. What we cannot lose are those folks that have an idea that are sitting across the street from my house that maybe with this, we'll have a chance to take that idea to reality. Yep. And I don't even know what it could look like, So, but I know it could be amazing. I'm going to pull back one more layer on you. Then I promise I'll let you go. What does, okay. what needs to change in order for this vision that you've just painted for us to, to happen? What needs to change? Mindset. We need to go to a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. Mm. And I won't do a big lecture. I speak on this a lot, but, but it's really about now it's about having a growth mindset. It's about accepting that what we had wasn't perfect. It's about mourning the loss of it because it will never be the same. And it's about imagining that it can and will be different. And when you free yourself from those constraints, I think today, 
even those that predicted some of what might have happened, right? Not the pandemic, but a collapse of our sector in some format. I don't think anyone projected it would be the pandemic to do it. But we got up to a thousand restaurants per consumer, right? So we were so saturated and we had an experience for everyone, but I had a thousand choices within my house looking out where I could go. Yeah. So so I just think I just think it's um I don't know. It's a hard I, I question. We, we've been given a gift, you know, yeah. we, we have a gift here. And as dark as this is, and I spend half my day as on calls where I finally just openly cried on Friday. I got off the phone with someone and I, it just finally hit me. Right. So you have to be the strong one as a leader, but it hit me so hard. And I realized I was just trying to be strong and I, you know, these are real people in real lives. And so I think, I think we, we have to come together and we have to have this growth mindset mm-hmm. and we have to look at everything that went right and wrong through the crisis. And, and you know what, maybe we should have retail items and grocery items forever. What's wrong with going to Taco Bell and getting milk, and eggs and bread on my way out. Boy, that's more efficient, right? Yeah. What's wrong with, with the beef industry? Why aren't our farmers markets inside our restaurants? Like there's all these things and touch points that we've learned that I think we could get a actually a bigger piece of the pie when this yeah. is said and done. And uh, I want to respect your time because uh, I think we, we're, we're beyond the time we agreed on. And I saw- Sorry, I'll, I know no, I'll you're, talk no, you're, no, I'm sorry to, to abuse your time. Thank you so much for, for making time for us, for coming on the show and helping uh, give my listeners some direction where to go to get started, to, to make a, a difference on the future and uh, to kind of just break that down for us. It was super helpful. I think you probably cleared up a lot of fog for, for many people listening. So I, I just can't say thank you enough. Yeah. And Eric, thank you. It's people like you that are, are, you're getting people through this. I mean, you're the voice that's getting people to know that there is light. And I think, please keep, it's like every media reporter who calls, call me all day long. Cause the more people who talk about the pain we're in and are focused on a solution for the future, we need those people in this fight. So well, thank you for what you're doing and thank you to all your listeners and it will be okay. It's not gonna be the same, but it's going to be okay. It's the only thing keeping me sane right now. Otherwise I'd be sitting around bored on my mind. So it's my pleasure, but thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> Excellent. Stay uh, in touch. Okay. Yes, we'll do. Cheers. Emily Williams Knight. Thank you again for coming on the show and shedding light on this very confusing, very complex, very, um, insignificant, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, conversation. I mean, the conversation is significant. The package just is not significant enough. And I think the big takeaway from today's conversation is that we need more. Uh, we were originally th- this package, this relief package was al- originally supposed to get us through to around this time to uh, mid to early April. And that, you know, we, we need more than that. Clearly this is going to be affecting us far beyond the, the time they originally thought it would be affecting us. So, uh, it's, it's not that we're ungrateful for the relief and the support we've gained from our government, but the, the cold, hard truth is it's not even going to put a dent in what we need to come out of this thing as unscathed as possible. And, um, I'm happy that what I've been telling people, uh, up to this episode that the best place to go is your local state, uh, association, for advice and guidance on how to best handle this. And the truth is every scenario is different. Everybody's case is different. So there's not going to be a one, um, a one answer uh, or one size fits all answer to the, the problems that you're experiencing out there. You need to, you know, find the, the right answers for you, your business, and, you know, bring your accountant, bring your lawyer into this and really, uh, tailor fit a solution for your, um, scenario. Um, that's the cold, hard truth, but you can start by going to your local state association website. We have links to the TRA website. They're doing an amazing job staying plugged in up to date and providing webinars and resources. That's the beautiful thing about the 21st century is that we have such great resources to spread information, to spread knowledge in the best place to go are or is your state association website. Um, and again, like I said, we will link to the TRA website in the show notes. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash RCP for Restaurant Coronavirus Podcast. And this will be session 38 if you're looking for those links. And the other thing that Emily wanted me to let you know, I got an email from her after this recording, is that uh, they have the, the Texas Restaurant Relief Fund that they've started. So whether you're seeking funds or you want to donate to this resource, uh, do head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RCP for Restaurant Coronavirus Podcast. Uh, I'll link to that resource, whether you're searching for funds or looking to give funds. And also, they have the Texas Workforce Commission, which is a place to send your employees if you had to lay them off so they can get 
get guidance and help. Uh, again, that's the Texas Workforce Commission. I'll have those resources in the show notes as well. Again, session 38 RCP, uh, sorry, restaurantunstoppable.com slash RCP, and then find session 38. And then we, we wrapped up this conversation talking about what the future looks like. And I'm so happy that, that the Texas Restaurant Association shares this sentiment that we get to choose how we come back from this thing. We've never, ever in my knowledge, in the history of the restaurant industry, have been able to put the whole industry on pause. And we get to choose how we come back stronger. So I'm curious what you think that looks like. Share my, feel free to email me, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com or join the Unstoppable Restaurant Owners and Operators Facebook group uh, and share what you think we need to do to come back stronger from this. I'd be really interested to start collecting that vision um, and really just, you know, brainstorming that, that future. And for me, um, you know, Emily said that what needs to change is mindset and I'm right there with her. I don't know if I would choose the word mindset, although I think that that is something that does need to change for me. What I think really needs to change is our core values. Uh, we try to over, we try to fix things with over-regulation, over-regulation, regulations, regulations. And the other side of regulations is culture, Right. And I think that our nation needs a better culture. I need, I think our, our industry needs a better culture. I think we need to prioritize our core values. And that, that's one thing I would love to explore on the show is what do, what does the future of our industry's core values look like? What are, what's the most important thing? I think it used to be profitability. I think that was clear in the, in the model of capitalism. Um, it hinges on profitability, or at least it used to, and it probably still does to this day. But should it hinge on other things is my question. Should we be more intentional about what's the most important thing, what we should all be seeking? And that's the question I want to answer. I think that would be a really cool thing to explore. So I'd love to get your ideas on that. Sh- shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com, or join the Unstoppable Restaurant Owners and Operators Facebook group. Um, it's a it's a tight-knit group of like four to 500 people right now. We're, we're slowly scaling. I, I, I'm being super selective of who I let into that group, meaning you have to be a restaurant owner or operator. Um, we're really putting the filter up and we're only letting past guests uh, who are consultants into that group to kind of keep that level of trust high. So go check it out. And before I let you go, I got to remind you that this episode was brought to you by Restaurant 365, a cloud-based all-in-one restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory built within Restaurant 365, a value of $5,000. This episode is also brought to you by P&G Professional, specifically Don Professional, the number one dish detergent found in most commercial kitchens. With Don Professional, you get long-lasting suds that clean 58% more dishes per sink and you reduce your sink changeovers by 35%, which saves you up to 6,000 gallons of hot water per year. Head over to www.pgpro.com. And that's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out out.